0: Hey, hey, mamas, it's your girl Marissa here with the official Midwest Mama podcast, a production of the only all women curated local publication, Midwest Mama magazine. When you tune into our all new podcast, you can expect to hear from inspiring local women who are leading businesses, running and starting businesses, mothers and non mothers alike. And we're here to share stories that will inspire, encourage and empower each of us to realize our own potential. We invite you to come along with us as we hear and learn from women who are tackling big goals and big dreams, facing both familiar and unfamiliar challenges. We're going to be dropping new episodes on you at least monthly, and you can always find them for free wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can always visit us at midwestohmama.com. Hello. Midwest Mamas and uh, hopefully some gentlemen that are joining us today because you guys are in for a treat. I have been anticipating uh, this interview for a while and you guys I am excited to introduce you to Emma Schmidt. She is with Emma Schmidt and Associates, the only sex therapy practice in greater Cincinnati. Um, They are a go-to Expert resource for all things sex, intimacy, and relationships. You guys, this is an important topic. There's so much shame and um, still taboo around talking about our intimacy and our sexual relationships and how the health of those relationships really factor into the health across our entire lives and how that manifests into. How our how we're our relationships with our children, our relationships as leaders in our businesses, um, as leaders in our community, all of these things are interconnected. And I'm so excited to learn from Emma today. Welcome, Emma. Hi,
1: thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: I'm so excited that you were interested in sharing your work with our Midwest Mama community. We did a, our most recent podcast, our first podcast of the year was also focused on um, therapy and self-help and taking an assessment of where we are at individually with our mental health Mm -hmm. and taking a step back and, and being honest with ourselves about where we are. And I think that keeping with this theme of therapy about being honest about where we are Mm -hmm. so that we're able to move forward in a positive way. So tell us about your practice. Tell us about um, sort of define intimacy therapy for us Mm -hmm. um, and demystify it.
1: Yeah. So we are a sex and relationship therapy practice. I started this in 2011. And so whenever I started it, there really uh, wasn't much sexual health or quality sexual health in the area and we knew this because my husband and I struggled with sexual pain. We weren't able to have intercourse for three years and we thought, uh, if we're struggling with this, we can't be the only ones that are, are going through this. But the problem was is that we kept getting passed from provider to provider saying like, oh, I think this next person might know and we thought that was incredibly unfortunate. And so we wanted to make a difference and so i got trained as a sex therapist and got my doctorate in clinical sexology and really wanted to be able to provide here in the cincinnati area more accessibility to quality sexual health care so then a few years ago i realized well i can't do this on my own and so i realized if i could build a team of people then more people would be able to have access to sex therapy The problem was, is that, as we all know, when we come out of grad school or come out of college or, you know, if we end up going that path, that there are all these student loans that happen. And so we wanted to be able to provide a way for therapists to get trained as sex therapists. So within our practice, we also have an in-house sex therapy school where when therapists come onto our team, they can get trained and certified as a sex therapist, which is, I feel really proud that we're now able to offer that so that we can provide more access to um, the community for sex therapy and sexual health care. So um, yeah, now we have a team, we have four locations. I say we have five locations. So Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, um, Fishers, Indiana, Westchester, Ohio, and then Hyde Park, Cincinnati. And then we also uh, work with and our partners with this organization called Mukti in Nepal, close to India that helps rescue girls out of sex trafficking so Um, 17 and under and we provide all their sex education all their sex training sexual health training to their care team do group therapy for their um, care team and group supervision so um, we're really connected to them and trying to not only help locally um, nationally but also globally um, to provide access for sex therapy that's beautiful so it's really um it's been really cool to see where we started and not many people really wanted to uh hear us and like really get involved or invested in sex therapy to now where we are and having four locations and working globally and nationally and locally so it's it's really cool we provided over 11,000 sex therapy sessions this last year which is awesome wow so um yeah it feels really cool to um start building this thing and trying to normalize this conversation even more So intimacy, what I say is um, intimacy is all about being known, knowing and being known. So a lot of times we will interchange intimacy with sex, but intimacy is so much more than the sexual behavior. So sex really can be um, broken down into really a behavior of um, an interaction where intimacy is all about knowing and being known um, with someone else. So you could have play intimacy where maybe you're going out and doing something playful and you're letting your partner Um, know you in a different way when you're being playful, or um, aesthetic intimacy, art um, intimacy, work intimacy. So my husband works with me um, on my team, and uh, we get to know each other maybe a little bit too. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like... separation of church and state, huh? (laughs) Yes. I'm like, I'm your boss. And he's like, no, we are (laughs) co-owners. So um, intimacy is really important because... When we're engaged in a sexual interaction or when we're together sexually, not me and my husband, but just like in general, intimacy is going to be important that you have on all different levels for that sexual intimacy to actually really work. And so we would say that intimacy is one of the most important pieces of a sexual interaction if that's what you're looking for. We know that some people really like um, also just having the sexual behavior and not having that intimacy there, but we think that intimacy is something that can make a sexual interaction deeper and um, overall more satisfying for a lot of people.
0: So why do you think that there's still a a hesitation for people to seek out um, support around their intimate relationships, their sexual relationships?
1: So I think there's a few things. I think some people have an idea of what they think sex therapy is. So we like to tell people we don't have sex with you. We're not sex surrogates. So a sex surrogate are people who will engage in a sexual behavior with you while also doing some kind of therapeutic modality or like approach um, cognitive wise. And so we want people to know that's not what we do here, that we are mental health therapists, but we, um, we work on your sexual health with you. There's also, we're in the Midwest. So I used to live out in Boston for a little while and it was way more acceptable on the East Coast and the West Coast than it is here in the Cincinnati area. And I think it's because of this like uh, more conservative religious, religious experience that we have here, and generationally what we've been taught around sex. So um, a lot of times, for many, especially women are women identifying people that they'll say sex is something that it feels like I've been taught to give that my pleasure isn't for myself; it's for someone else, hmm. and so. Um, why would someone want to come to sex therapy when it's I don't want to give any more of myself or work on that so we'll hear a lot of people say well my husband sent me to get help or you know um, are you going to make me have sex with my partner or uh, because we weren't taught how to have sex uh, taught how to have the conversation around sex because our parents don't know how to talk to us about sex because we don't know how uh, have language it's just an overall uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. So like the unknown. Same with um somewhat same with finances and talking about finances with other people right. I can feel really uncomfortable. Right. So I think it's this um fear of the unknown, like what happens when we talk about talk about sex. It's a very vulnerable topic, like we're getting emotionally naked with yeah. you know, someone else. Um, my husband's from Germany and it's not a problem it's really interesting going over there and people, you know, the whole table will be talking about sex as if it's like no big deal. Uh, And so I think it's really interesting culturally that um, America, that the Midwest, that there are certain pockets of communities that are more uncomfortable. And I think it's this generational um, experience that's happened based on, you know, what's happened within, within that culture over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What are some of the issues that, Folks are coming in
0: and seeking support for, asking that question. You know, for our listeners, is
1: they, how can they see themselves in this space? Yeah. So we'll say that sex therapy is an umbrella term for a lot of different challenges that could come in. Some of them are more medical related. So we'll say like sexual pain, um, erectile dysfunction, erectile child challenges, um, premature ejaculation, or early ejaculation. Um, maybe there's vaginismus where the pelvic floor gets really tight but then there's other thing there are other areas under that umbrella as well like we have mismatched libido or desire discrepancy meaning i want sex a different amount or desire it differently than my partner does Um, There's also incorporating like kink play or um, BDSM type behaviors and wanting to figure out like what does it look like to incorporate that. Um, What does it look like to spice things up now that we've, you know, it feels pretty dull from what we used to engage in and we just don't find each other attractive anymore. Um, Now that I have kids, I don't want sex at all. I don't even want my partner to touch me right now um, I want to want sex, but I don't want sex and I'm exhausted and tired and burnt out. And I don't know how to fit this into my life anymore. Two, I've had an affair and, um, how do we recover from this? So it spans so much, um, sexuality and trying to understand my own sexuality and what that looks like and, um, and how I want to identify and trying to come to terms with that. And, Um, How do I talk to my kids about sex? How do I talk to my parents about my sexuality? So what's really cool about our practice is that it's so dynamic and the types of people that we all see, but the lens that we come from is so different as well. So I do more sexual medical um, is my passion um, where someone else's might be kink and BDSM. And so it's nice to have a group of people who come from different types of specialties when it comes to sex therapy. But yeah, it's a, a lot of different um, pieces and experiences of that we're all going through, usually alone, um, but actually you're probably more normal than you realize.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I like the term you used just a moment ago, like trying to normalize the mm-hmm. conversation around sex, relationships, and intimacy. What does it look like for you to be in a healthy space um, and how can that affect other parts of your life when you're in a good spot or not in a good spot?
1: Yeah. I think um, what I'm calling like modernizing our sexual health has so much to do with uh, giving our life back to ourselves. So a lot of us have um, this type of sexual health that when we think about it, like it makes our body cringe. Or whenever I think about sexual health has so much to do with a lot of different things, whether it's my body image, whether it's the way that i'm fun- fun- functioning sexually maybe i'm nursing and i have to pump it pump at work um, if i'm cramping or i have pain while i'm at work it really encompasses so much but w- and so when we think about our sexual health i think what has happened is that we start to deny our own needs for the pleasure of other people i should not complain about what i'm experiencing at work or i should um, i feel sorry about my body because it doesn't meet the standards for what other people want me to look like or I should want to have sex every day, but I just don't. Or, um, uh, so it spans, you know, across, um, the spectrum. And so I think that there's this shift that is going to be really important to happen for us to modernize our sexual health. And what is it, what would it look like to not deny ourselves anymore, of the what would it look like to not have our needs be for other people and deny our needs and try and meet the needs of other people what would it be like um, for our sexual health to refuel us and give us energy and to give us our life back what would it be like to ask our partner to um, be there for our needs instead of feeling like our sexual health is for giving and um, giving of others around us Uh, what health looks like is different for everyone So there's the six principles of sexual health um, that Doug Brown Harvey likes to talk a lot about. And so I would highly recommend looking it up, but what it says is here are six principles. And if you are in agreement, if you create a contract, if you create some kind of mission with your partner within these six principles, that's how you know you're in a sexual health experience. So for everyone, Um, It looks different. I can't tell you what's sexually healthy because that might look different for somebody next door to you, right? And so we've had this experience of saying what is sexually healthy and what isn't. But in reality, we have to figure out and start to ask ourselves, So what does that look like for me? I might want, um, I might not want sex ever. And that's okay, actually. Like if you need to hear that and give yourself permission to know it's okay to not want sex, like that's okay. Does that work for your partner? And if the answer is no, are you all in a healthy sexual relationship based on what you all are needing or do you fit better with somebody else? Will you be denying your own needs? Will your partner be denying their own needs? So being able to go through these six principles um, of sexual health, I think is really important to know, are we compatible sexual health wise? um, And what does that look like? So I would say don't let anybody tell you what sexual health, looks like you have to figure out what that is for yourself and having this guide is going to be really healthy for you and knowing that that's going to look different from partner to partner as well and creating that contract together helps you be able to come back and say well where do we fall within these principles to say um, are we in alignment with where where we connected in like the contract that we made together Um, and if not like how do we want to work on that then Really taking a inventory of ways that you find throughout your day, throughout your life that impact your overall sexual health. And are you denying what you need for the pleasure of others around you? So if as as women, Mm -hmm.
0: um, if we're feeling that nudge of wanting to have this conversation, what are some ways... You know because what if our partner is in that space of it's taboo and i don't want to talk about this or their shame what are some ways that you would um, advise us to approach that conversation
1: with our partner yeah so i would say it's different for everyone just depending on where you're at in your relationship with them um, and where they're at too but typically what i'll say is hey this is really important to me i want to be able to just have a conversation about this i know it's going to be uncomfortable Uh, can we schedule some time to sit down and just talk about it so that they know how serious it is for you you're identifying how it makes you feel you're asking for a request from them and then hopefully they would say okay let's set up a dinner let's um, I had one couple who said let's go to a hotel get a hotel for the night and just spend some time talking about this set some intentional time where you know it's not like while someone is you don't want to sabotage the situation like they're doing dishes or they're, you know, running out the door and you're like, Hey, um, can we talk about this really fast? You know, like you want to set up some space for it. Um, and you want your partner to know how important this is for, for you. And then I would go through a list of questions, um, which are what I would call, um, the sex conversation questions. The ones that I like to go through are, um, what works for you sexually? What doesn't work for you sexually? what is your favorite sexual act that we've done together what do you fear about sex what makes you uncomfortable sexually what um what is it like to have this conversation right now yeah what is something you want to try that we've never tried before what is something we do that you don't actually do but you do and you think that i like it sometimes people will say i don't actually like doing this thing and then the other partner will say I don't actually like that you do that thing, but we've been doing it for years, <laughs> like totally missing each other. Yeah. That can really be open, um, opened up. Um, what do you want to tell me that you have been nervous to tell me, or you haven't been saying, um, what do you want to talk about? What questions do you want to ask that, uh, maybe we're not asking right now sexually. So start to get that conversation going. It is, it can be very uncomfortable, um, and also, sometimes my clients, when they come in, that's the only thing that they need. And then it, it's so much freedom that comes from that, that we weren't able to be that honest mm-hmm. yeah, about um, just talking about it. So I know it's tab, not taboo, but cliche, but communication can be the gateway to everything. Right. So um, I don't know about can be just is just is <laughs> yeah <laughs> no matter what it is it is communication there is um if you're having a hard time asking these questions feel free to reach out to us at contact at emma-schmidt.com and we'll give you a conversation starter um that you can uh provide with tool. your partner and what we could actually do too um is just provide it to you oh yeah and you can add it to the show notes yes, or something that'd yeah be great great So um, if you're wanting to do a longer conversation, there is an app called the Gottman Deck app, Gottman Card Deck app. And in it, it has different categories of questions you can ask each other. And three of those are mild, medium, and spicy. So it's a fun way to say, hey, um, we don't want to have just one conversation about this. We want this to be ongoing. Let's plan to have a conversation about it once a month where we plan a date and we ask each other these, these questions or it could be once a week, it could be every other week, whatever that looks like. Um, This is a great way to pull up these questions, mild, medium, or spicy, and you can choose from them and it can um, prompt you in some questions that you can ask on your date night or wherever the situation is that you set up. But it's a great way to keep the conversation going. But I definitely would recommend um, having an ongoing conversation about it because where you are today and what you feel today about your um, sexual health and what you're wanting In your relationship is going to look different in five years, just like it looked different five years ago. So um, make sure that you're having that ongoing conversation because it, it changes every session. Really. Um, We'll say just because I wanted, let's say my clitoris rubbed immediately, doesn't mean that that's what I want the next time. Like our bodies change too. So not only having those broad questions, but how can we then, um, hone in and really focus on like how do I communicate even in the moment of what I'm looking for and what I'm wanting.
0: Yeah yeah I think it's really interesting that you mentioned sort of like that it does have to do with generationally what we're taught and what we've seen growing up. So as a parent and although I have young children right now It does come to my mind, especially with what you're talking about, that this is this taboo, if you will, the standard that the Midwest has told us like, shh, don't talk about sex, shh, don't talk about intimacy. How do we start um, modeling a more healthy relationship with the conversation about sex and intimacy and relationships for our kids, right? I'm not saying I need to have a sex talk with my five year old, but how am I modeling intimacy in my relationship with my husband um, in a way that sets them up for success as they enter into adulthood and when it is time to have the sex talk. um, And I don't even know if that's really a thing anymore, but, you know, guides some of our parents towards, you know, how we can be modeling that behavior in a healthy way for our children as they enter puberty.
1: Yeah. I'll just throw this out right now before I forget there, um, just because I'm looking at my bookshelf, There are two books that could be really good with this it's called boys and sex and girls and sex by peggy olstein um orenstein sorry so um that can be a really great way for you to have a more in depth information um in these uh book materials there's so many books out there around how to have how to have conversations around this but i would say you know i talk to my five-year-old around different sexual practices sexual health practices so it can start and it's good to start whatever age they're at and what's appropriate. So whenever they were little, we would identify their different body parts. Like this is your vulva. And they would say, Oh my vulva. And I'm like, that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. And then like, we don't hide ourselves um, when we're naked Mm -hmm. and we try and um, show up. So my daughter might come over and um, hit my stomach and say, do you have a baby in there? And I'll be like, sure. Don't, but I don't, I don't, talk negatively about my body it's just my body and so um my husband will get out of the shower and he's not like everybody run away he's just putting on his outfit and putting on his clothes so there's a type of modeling of even like the little interactions that we're showing our kids of um are we hiding ourselves are we trying to like say are we trying to cover ourselves up um are we talking about ourselves in a certain way so there's a lot of work sometimes that we have to do internally to be able to model a certain sexual health practice for our kids as well. Yeah, absolutely. So whatever age they are, I would say um it's never too young. It's just like what's appropriate for the kid at that age. And um one of the things we say too is don't wait for them to come talk to you about it. You want to start bringing up that conversation because if they're not seeking you out, they're going to find it somewhere. And do you want that to be the thing that informs them about their sexual health? And what we know from, we provide um, a sexual health assessment to all of our clients. So over the past 12 years, we know that a large majority, I would say in the eighties or nineties have learned about sexual health from porn and um, porn can be a useful tool for, um, from some experiences but is that what you want your kid to be learning about sexual health so whatever that is you and your partner are being able to decide too what do we want that conversation to look like how do we want to present this to our children how do i get together with my partner and us decide what language are we going to use and when are these conversations going to happen so it's very intentional that you all are creating a plan together you all have language for it. Maybe you're saying I got to work on myself first and then I'm able to present that. But intimacy looks like being able to even um, sit down at the kitchen table together and pull out, uh, they have these like little talk boxes where you can pull out questions and just talking to each other at dinner and saying like, what's your favorite experience that we've had as a family? Like that's intimacy, right? Like knowing, having that quality, like time together, Um, going on dates with your kids. Hey, what's your favorite activity that we would do together? And then going on that date. So showing intimacy and showing healthy relationships is going to be a part of um, modeling what a healthy relationship looks like when they get into a relationship as well. So then of course, when they get older, being able to talk about, um, this is, Hey, you might start experiencing this, or maybe they say it feels good when I rub my vulva on this thing. Like, yeah, it would feel good. It does. You have pleasurable nerve endings there. The other day, my daughter asked if I ever touched my husband's penis. And I said, yeah, I do. Um, but then I had had the conversation, but you don't touch other people's pee you know, like what are boundaries? Right. Those are really right. important. Right. And when is the appropriate time to touch other people's genitals? One of the tricky pieces is while they're kids, um, the type of messaging that we're providing. um, So we don't want to say penises are bad or vulvas are bad or whatever that looks like. Um, When they grow up, we don't want them to fear other people's genitals either or interactions. We want to say that is pleasurable. Here's what we believe about when it's appropriate to touch other people's genitals or when it's appropriate to have sexual interactions with others and provide them some language and some structure around that but also talk about the why if you just provide the information but they don't know why it can get a little confusing for them as well so being able to provide the why with whatever education um, you're giving is going to be really important and then knowing that um, that you're going to want to think about when you want to have these conversations with your kids too because they're not always going to come to you especially when they get older and they might feel uncomfortable and awkward but if they know that you're a safe person that they can come to, um, I would say bring this up and then just listen. It might be very uncomfortable for you, especially as they get older. Yeah, yeah. And they might talk to you about some of this stuff at a younger age than you're like comfortable with as well. But what's important is that that they feel like you're a safe person and you exhibit safety by listening, empathizing, validating what they're saying, and then go have your like screaming moment like what the (laughs) in a different room right right different room that's good advice I mean, because I think um
0: again I have I have little ones um but I also learned about uh the concept of catastrophizing in my last uh, conversation with um Leah Steverson and so I do have a tendency to not just think about Everly as this five-year-old I think about her as a 15-year-old and a 21-year-old, and, you know, I think about her in high school, I think about her in college, and we do find ourselves worrying about, um, I find myself worrying about how much she loves herself, how much she accepts her body, how much she values her worth, regardless of what she sees, you know, in the mirror or what other men think about her, Um, and so while maybe that is catastrophizing a little bit, I think it is important for me to, be cognizant cognizant of what I'm doing that may cause her to have positive or negative body image or whatever whatever that could be you yeah. know, as a mother.
1: Yeah, I think one of the best books out there right now is called My Body's Not an Apology mm. and how much we don't realize to just like walking around what we feel like we're having to apologize for like as we're showing up in the world. And the more that we can grasp that And the more that we can show up for ourselves and be unapologetic, that's going to impact our whole system around us. And if you think about, like, I think a great example is Lizzo, how she shows up so unapologetically and she says, like, that's my mission. I just want to be here and take up space. And the people around, she's created a whole culture of other people that say, thank you. Like, I want to show up and I don't have to apologize for me taking up space here and what this looks like and who I am, whether you're in a um, differently abled body or the color of your skin or um, sizes and whatever that looks like, um, the more that we can get into that and really challenge our own messages that we grew up generationally, the more that we're going to be able to impact our kids and how they're um, growing up in their own sexual health um, as well.
0: So let me take it from, I know we were just talking about our our children, but is intimacy ageless? Is, you know, when I think about, I- you know, not being, you know, in my 30s, 40s, or 50s, you know, when menopause has hit, you know, is intimacy and, and sexual um, happiness ageless? What do you think based on your experience with your clients?
1: Yes, I think... Um, one, my mentor in sexual health is in her eighties. I love it. I love it. Yes. Um, and she's a badass. Uh, yes. One of the statistics that we actually know is that for many sexual health becomes way more empowering and exciting the older you get. Uh, But we have this really strange stigma around older people and sexual health that we think it's, you know, fill in the blank for whatever you, you think it is. Um, and in reality, sexual health is very normal, and menopause has also gotten a very, um, I think, unpleasurable mm, message when it doesn't actually there. So we hear about menopause, and we think, oh, this is the end of my sexual health. My hormones going to go down. My libido is going to go down. It's going to hurt. I'm going to have hot flashes. This is going to be miserable. Um, one, there's lots of medication for hormone replacement therapy. There are a lot of, um, new devices to, to help with, um, vaginal rejuvenation in terms of bringing back the tissue in your vaginal canal. And also a lot of women feel more sexually desirable and aroused and, um, and free. Uh, so I think that we enter into a certain age and we think this is the end for me. I've, I've, um, my youth is gone and youth is known for being sexually, I don't know, fluid and again, um, the world says that, that,
0: that beauty, that beauty and sex is, you know, pick a Kardashian, right? Like that, that's it. That's, that's what we're plastered with on whatever social media platform. You can't get away from it.
1: Exactly. And even saying like, this is what beauty is, right? We, um, we get away from actually seeing what is beautiful in front of us because we have this lens of what we're supposed to, you know, like I was talking about before, um, how I'm supposed to show up in the world. And if I if I'm not showing up as a Kardashian, then what does that mean for me? Um, so there are all these people who go through menopause and postmenopause, what we might call um, I don't even want to call it like geriatric. Like what a Please horrible don't. word I know. trying to get away from this term actually. <laughs> The medical, um, so the term geriatric pregnancy is actually trying to get away from this term as well. I was going to bring that up because, like,
0: I, you know, they first started off calling me AMA, so advanced maternal age, right? And then they moved into, you know, as I approached 40 trying to get pregnant, uh, geriatric pregnancy. And I'm like,
1: are you serious? like i'm still in
0: my 30s this is a geriatric pregnancy wow right yeah way to go that makes me feel fantastic
1: and they make you just scared Mm -hmm. yeah so um they're really trying to redefine so that it's uh i can't think of the word but um
0: so so that it doesn't feel negative so it doesn't feel derogatory in a way
1: exactly um I think in society now, we're trying to normalize a lot of different sexual health um, language and trying to help people feel like you're way more normal than you think you are. But some of these terms, as clinical as they sound, are not appropriate or help us feel normal a lot of the time. Um, So, yes, I think sex is ageless. We know this, too, because the highest STI rates come from... um, homes where people in their 80s 90s are for real yes and so um, yeah so we're having to do a lot of sex education and retirement homes And huh. what else are they called not just retirement homes but I like assisted living. assisted living assisted yeah. living yeah because they'll find um, these people in closets or they'll walk in and uh, yes like you should be still sexually active you are still living being with nerve endings and pleasure and a beating heart and you have interest in other people your sex life and your pleasure and you as a sexual being has not died at a certain age so how do we also get and that sense health? of
0: wanting to feel i mean i know you've separated sexual acts and intimacy but <clears throat> no matter who we are what <laughs> how old we are that that feeling of wanting to be desired and that feeling of wanting to be close yeah. with someone never goes away that's <clears throat> literally how we are wired as human beings it's science
1: yeah. one of my favorite taglines that we use for our practices you were never meant to do this alone and um, we use it a lot for sexual health mental health but especially as I think it's so appropriate as you age feeling I think there's this idea like when you're when you don't have a partner anymore you haven't had a partner it can feel like well that's the end of me like this is what my life is going to be and how depressing that can feel and so i think we need to normalize too and more and speak more loudly about um sexual health and sex specifically being ageless yeah because people are still going to do it yeah you're talking about it or not
0: yes still happening yes still happening (laughs) Well, Emma, this has been very enriching. Um, I don't know if you would have a desire to come back um, and speak with us, but I'd love to maybe bring you back on the show and dig into some specific topics. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we end, I wanted you to share a little bit about your new campaign with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that we also like to do, if you have a quote or anything that was given to you by your mama or a mother figure in your life that is something that kind of helps you be your best self, you know, yeah. give us that little, give us that little nugget and share that with our listeners today. But first, B-C-E. Oh my Go. gosh.
1: Okay. <laughs> so I can't own this. One of our therapists, Vicki, um, created this um, and and they created a sticker called Big Clit Energy. And I feel like that's so appropriate for this <laughs> podcast. And I think we all need to wear it on our sleeves, Just Big Clit Energy. That's right, right. So, we got some cool branding around Big Clit Energy, so if you all are wanting any of it, feel free to reach out. We'll send you some stickers. I love it. We love it. We love it. I would say um, one. My mom had a ton of uh, awesome, fun advice, um, but I think one of my like pretend moms, who I don't have never actually met, Brene Brown. <laughs> i love her oh my god i'm gonna start calling her that oh my goodness you just called her your pretend mom isn't she all of our pretend mom no i feel like brene. i wear oprah on one um little on shoulder. One shoulder and then brene is on my other shoulder it's fine I love it. um one of the books that i feel like is highly influential is called daring greatly and um, she puts this theodore roosevelt book. quote at the beginning um, that is all about uh failing and that it's important for us to fail and that when we're in it and we're getting muddy and we're getting dirty at least we know that we failed daring greatly and that maybe we come out and we win from that but we're probably moving forward and a lot of us feel like um, maybe it feels too scary or that we're going to be rejected or whatever that looks like Um, but I think the thing that I have noticed and what I live by is just get out there and fail. And that's how we move forward. So do it, um, fail daring greatly. Look up this quote, the man in the arena, read the book. I think it's one of the most powerful experiences and, um, empowering, uh, missions and visions that we can have for our life.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Emma. And actually, I've been calling you by your first name, and I'm like, I just, Doctor Schmidt. Oh, <laughs> Doctor Schmidt. My you, girls call
1: me Doctor Mama. Doctor
0: Mama, I love it. What? What? You? Your five year old girl boy? Which is a- I have
1: a a five year old girl and then a seven year old girl. Yeah. And do they call you Doctor Mama? They call me Doctor Mama, and then they say, Oh, you're my doctor to my vulva. And I say- oh. <laughs> One day you'll know. Or they're bulba. Right. Yeah, they're bulbba. They're bulba. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm gonna have to teach Everly because so I she just says vagina. And yeah. I'm like, Yeah, well, but we should like know the parts. I need her. you guys, I'm I'm uh, in her office and it's first of all, very aesthetically like just calming, a comfortable place. Oh, um thank you. because as a therapist, of course, that was that's what you would want. But I'm also staring at a huge um plush Vagina.
1: <laughs> it's just great. Uh, so um, I created that with my mom too, which is that we sewed a bunch of vulvas together for our staff in their favorite colors. And um, let me tell you if you've never sewn a vulva with your mom,
0: It's another experience. What a bonding. (laughs) What a way to establish more intimacy with your mom. For (laughs) sure. Oh, my gosh. Well, you guys, um, I hope that you took some things away from our episode today. Uh, Dr. Mom, Dr. Mama uh, and her team of therapists are here ready and waiting um, for you to reach out if you have a need. Um, And it sounds like there's even an assessment, that you a tool that they provide online without even having to actually come in. So we're going to provide as many resources as we can in the show notes. And um, I just wanted to thank you again, Emma, for joining us. Yeah,
1: of course. I loved it.
0: And we're definitely going to have you back. And for you guys that are out there listening, um, as you know, we drop new episodes about every two weeks. And I'm going to be coming back at you guys soon and start thinking about spring, right? It was warm outside yesterday, kind of crazy warm you know as it is in the midwest you know it's 20 degrees one day 70 degrees the next day Um, but let's start thinking about spring and some different ways that we can empower ourselves to take that season by the reins and do some big things for ourselves and accomplish and tackle some of our goals all right mamas it's been good talking to you until we chat again go out there and get it mama.